Welcome to the Back in Business podcast. I'm business journalist, broadcaster and podcaster, Mickey Clark. And I'm small business journalist, Liz Barkley. We're at the end of the road in Blackpool. This is... <laughs> no, 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 no. We can't. We, we shouldn't say that really, should we? <laughs> you wrote the it. End... <laughs> We're at the end of the road for our tour. I hadn't realised what it was going to sound like when I wrote it. <laughs> I did wonder. I did wonder. <laughs> This is where our round the UK city tour comes to an end and we're going to put our feet up and look into the B&B and enjoy the Blackpool tourists amenities and the surrounding countryside. I've been there a few times. Have you, Liz? Oh, yes. It's, it's a fantastic place. I absolutely loved it, but I haven't been for a long time. So I am looking forward to finding out. I was there out, back in know. the 90s working on a programme. You might have heard of it, Pound for Pound. Oh, uh, I think that's I think that's the program that you and I and Declan did <laughs> back yeah, in like, the nineties. Yes, you just woke, of... you just woke me up there with the mention of that. <laughs> All about personal finance. Is that when you oh. gave fleas to the donkey? I had a bloody ostrich trying to kick me, and then we went <laughs> we went there to eat ostrich, do some vox pops in the centre of Blackpool, and then the chef whispered in my it's not an ostrich, it's an emu. And we had, to, while we was filming the Vox Pops, we had to tell the people at the end of it what they were eating because they didn't know. We said, what, what do you think this is? And I said to the one bloke, I said, he's ostrich. And he went, and he spat this thing out. It went over my shoulder and hit the cameraman. <laughs> and that's all I remember of Blackpool, really. I couldn't focus after that. Could have been worse. They, Could have been budget. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> Get Michael involved and it'll be dead. Well, uh, the, the listeners haven't met Michael yet, but unfortunately, Michael, who's one of our guests, has had a rather uh, difficult time with budgies in the past. And perhaps we shouldn't, uh, perhaps we shouldn't <laughs> tell the story in case we get the RSPCA involved. They, they all died of natural causes, kind of. <laughs> Thank you, Michael. We'll, yes. <laughs> we'll, hear, we'll hear more on that later. Um, I Yes, I went to Blackpool um, uh, several times, but um, I think in those days we had uh, party conferences in Blackpool, which was great when yes. we were allowed out to go to party conferences. Yes. I do remember meeting my hero, Tony Ben, there once uh, in Blackpool. So, so Ernie, Ernie lives really? up there as well, doesn't he? Sorry? Who? Ernie. Ernie. Ernie, as in premium bonds. Premium bonds. I thought you meant Ernie Wise. But the a, lot computer. Of, a lot of comedians live up there as well. I thought you meant Ernie Wise. But is oh, Ernie Michael... the computer? Everyone knows Ernie the computer, <laughs> surely. Yeah, it gives me twenty-five quid every now and again, but uh, not not very often. And it's never given me any more than twenty-five quid. <laughs> Is there a point to today's podcast, no, or are we just? No, of course there is. Of course there is. Of course there is. Declan, Declan. Of course there is. Absolutely. And I'm going to. I'm going to say that Declan Curry, our business editor, is here, and Simon McVicker, our uh, director of public affairs, policy, and communications. So, guys, give us a point to this week. What's been happening? What's been going on? I've detected a note of caution creeping into uh, all that optimism we were talking about. Uh, last week, because the bank of the governor of the Bank of England was saying he expected to get the economy to get back to where it was in 2019 by the end of this year, and now yesterday, I think it was, the bank said the economy remains unusually uncertain. So what's going well, on? It's, it, it's it's the bank trying to um, explain a complex picture. It thinks that recovery is underway, even though it's had a bit of a rocky start this year and it appears to be underway uh, on both sides of the Atlantic because the Federal Reserve, the central bank in the United States also said this week that it expected strong recovery this year. So uh, the governor of the Bank of England, uh, Andrew Bailey, now thinks that we will have clawed back the ground we lost in the pandemic by the end of this year. That's a little earlier than he had uh, forecast. Uh, but the bank's also saying that after that, they're not quite sure what might happen, how quickly the recovery might be. And all the risks haven't just evaporated 
into thin air. There is always the ever-present risk of a new mutation of coronavirus that could be uh, as devastating as the Kent one was just before Christmas. There are still ongoing risks uh, to trade from uh, the new Brexit rules as they bed in. So the bank was saying, because of that level of uncertainty, we're going to keep supporting the economy, even though the markets are worried that there's probably there might be too much stimulus in there now, and that could lead to runaway prices. Yes, and I think that there is uncertainty still out there. And although the uh, the vaccine rollout is going pretty well here, of course, it isn't in Europe, and they're way behind us. And things are actually deteriorating in Europe as we speak. Paris is in lockdown for instance, on a third wave tonight. So, um, you know, a lot of the people we'll be doing trade with are not going to be in a position to be totally open in their economy. It's but, no and, good having us inoculated and the rest of Europe, the rest of the world not inoculated. That's true. That's true. And then, of course, we now know that our own inoculation is going to be slowed down quite dramatically in April because of this delay in this delivery from India. So it means the younger people are just not going to get inoculated as quickly as they had hoped. And somebody was saying on the radio last night, uh, I'm afraid for younger people, it looks like the summer holidays that they might have been planning will be impossible now because they will have to have two shots before they'll be able to travel. So you see, there's there's a lot of uncertainty out there. And I don't think it's it's on it would be it would be unwise for people to get too optimistic too quickly. However, it's still so, pretty. Sorry, Simon, I don't mean to cut across you, but it's still yeah. pretty amazing that here yeah. we are. Uh, first of all, that the vaccine oh, yeah. exists at all, yeah. because oh, there are still so many conditions out there for which we have no treatment at all. And the discovery of vaccine can take up to uh, a decade. The other is that we now have half the adult population and almost above 90% of the most vulnerable in society are now inoculated. So no denying that. That's, that's absolutely true. Uh, I do think it's amazing. And Britain's done a really good job at this. Second only to Israel, I think. And the, and the thing is, uh, I just think people get really excited and then start to jump way ahead. And you can't really do that at the moment. Well, so you've I had think, a year yeah, of glue. that was why I was feeling like there were mixed messages <laughs> It's been a year of gloom that we've been spoon fed for, yeah. for a long time. And this is a bit of hope, a ray of sunshine. People yeah. are going to grasp it. And to be perfectly honest, the, the comments from the Bank of England are the first bearish comments they've come out with since this pandemic started. You know, they've been chastised by us, in, in actual fact, for saying, you know, they are very optimistic and that the tune hasn't changed. Now they're just saying calm it down a bit things are getting a bit unpredictable um don't get too carried away i don't think they're going over the top and i don't think they're being that gloomy no. to be honest and what is very good uh, you know in my area and i'm sure in your area as well you can see uh, everybody's getting ready to open again everybody's out there cleaning up their shop fronts pubs are getting ready so there is a feeling that we're moving back to some sort of normality Oh, please. Um, Simon, there, there is another story, and I suppose, Declan, you're interested in this too, but one of the other stories this week was the big uh, was the Uber case. What does it mean for freelancers? What does it mean for people working in the gig economy? Um, what does it mean for other companies that operated in a similar way to Uber? Yeah, well, I think that, um, I mean, Uber, yet again, are making a total mess of this. Um, they're now conceding, of course, they have to because the Supreme Court's told them that their, their drivers are not self-employed, they are workers, but they're going about it in a very half-hearted way and they still face quite a few legal cases. Uh, I do think it has huge implications for the gig economy. So anybody that's getting work through through apps and whatever, uh, but this is going to take some time to settle down. Yeah, the, the, the cost base has gone through the roof as a result exactly. of that decision. And yeah. also, of course, um, if you're an investor, you have to look at that company and say, yeah. what exactly is it? Because we've had it down as a technology company. Well, in actual fact, it's, it's an information platform. Yeah. Um, and the fact that they've now got to have employees and they're going to have to pay probably, you know, a, a decent salary, pension contributions maybe, and national insurance, it's a whole different ballgame. And I spoke to one analyst um, on Five Live on uh, Wednesday, I think it was, and she said, well, no, no the UK is a very small part of the overall Uber operation. But, of course, 
where the UK goes, other countries yeah. follow. And that afternoon, after she poo-pooed that idea, uh, a Wall Street analyst came out and said, the game's changed. Um, yeah. They're going to see their costs rise or they're going to see their services shrink to what they offer. So they are not going to be the star-spangled banner in finance terms that they have been. That's, what I, was, that's what I was thinking. I was mm. wondering, um, you know, are we actually be seeing the beginning of the end for this kind of technological-based business, Mick, uh, Declan? Oh, I don't think so. Uh, Mickey's right in, in that it, it turns it from a dazzling technology unicorn into just a standard minicab company uh, yeah. with all the costs associated with that. And it does face cases similar to this uh, in California and it'll follow in other jurisdictions uh, as well. What struck me as interesting about this case all along, and Simon, you've been campaigning on this for years and years and years, is that we now have effectively three forms of employment which treat people doing roughly the same role in totally different ways. You've got the salaried employee, you now have this new court-created designation of workers, and then you have contractors and the self-employed, what we traditionally understand to be self-employed roles. And this is, a lot of this, uh, Simon, I don't know if you'd agree with this, a lot of this has been now been driven by the courts rather than by laws and by parliament yeah. or by the tax authorities. And yeah. that's a, a tricky situation to be in. At some point, the tax system and the law is going to have a law set by parliament is going to have to catch up with the laws that are now being reinterpreted and created by the judges. Yeah, it's a mess, as you say. And I think that um, part of me thinks maybe the politicians are waiting to see what the courts are going to say before they go to legislation. I don't think they can avoid this uh, for much longer uh, because of the confusion. Uh, it may, some say it may suit HMRC to have confusion around the tax position. And of course, a uh, worker doesn't really count for tax purposes in the way that, um, say, being a contractor does. So there's a lot of confusion there, but they need to get, to get down to it. We do, by the way, uh, have a big announcement on the 23rd next week on tax. The Chancellor is going to put some, his plans on, I think, especially small business taxation next week in some sort of consultation he's going to launch. So we'll be looking out for that on the 23rd. That'll be really interesting whether he tackles any of this gig economy stuff. And Meanwhile, IR35 continues IR35. to roll out, and that's another big data that the, uh, will in the weeks ahead too. That will don't, spoil, don't spoil my day, lads. I had all that <laughs> last week, but I had I'm, I'm sorry to all our contractor no, I'm friends. I'm none the wiser. From all our contractor friends, that will go ahead on the 6th of April. Okay, well, look, let's move. Let's move on. But if there's anything happens on Wednesday, uh, we'll be uh, on top of it. There will be a podcast uh, very shortly thereafter. But let's get to the heart of Blackpool. It's one of the favourite staycation destinations for decades in the UK. It's got the tower, the illuminations, the pleasure beach, the winter gardens, all those things that you've heard of, even if you've never been there. Um, and it is seaside holiday at its finest. But how has it coped? with having so few visitors over the past year and how is it planning to attract people back and make up for lost time? Let's introduce three guests. Uh, Rachel McQueen is CEO of Marketing Lancashire and she's got a Labrador puppy with her so we might even get to see that. <laughs> uh, Michael Trainer is Director of the Art B&B. Um, the reference to budgies, Michael, we'll leave it there, but I do know there were seven of them at one point. <laughs> and Nicola Thorpe is a columnist, broadcaster and actress. Nicola, I know you, you've got a family dog, but not with, with you. Uh, most people yes. will know you as a Coronation Street actress and you come from Blackpool. So from your point of view, how do you feel that your home city, your home uh, area has fared over this last year? So I'm very, per my family are very personally connected to Blackpool. They're all rock makers. Uh, they're three generations of, of Blackpool rock makers and confectioners. So our family's livelihood has been very much connected to the tourism industry. And as a result, it's had to reinvent itself over the decades, you know, um, with the stags and hens in flux during the, the 90s, early noughties. And then now a kind of, um, a, a, 
wanting to become more wholesome, which is what Blackpool is. There's so much there for families. And I think the, the work that the council are doing, the work that local um, businesses are doing to, to really boost this wholesome image that Blackpool has is fantastic. Um, but I know just speaking kind of from, from what my dad has experienced, like most small business owners, it was just devastating last year to go, okay, we can't, we can't operate. And even if we, even if we do bring workers in, who, who are we making rock for? Where are we going to sell this to? Um, whereas now they're, they're actually very, very busy because there's so much optimism about the summer ahead with people unlikely to go abroad. Um, they are starting to book holidays and there, there's this real anticipation that people will be coming to places like Blackpool instead of going abroad. So I think there's a huge opportunity here for all businesses in Blackpool, because every single business in the town is dependent in some way on tourism, even if they're not in the tourism industry themselves, is a real opportunity to, to capitalise on that and make sure that we bring people back again next year. Mickey, there's that word again, optimism. Yeah, I've, I've been banging on it. I sound like a broken record. Um, I, I did three counters this morning and they asked me about small businesses, how they operated and so on. And I said, the past year, I said, we've interviewed small businesses all around the country. And the first thing that strikes you about all of them is how upbeat and optimistic they are. And the good ones are the ones that have adapted um, so that the pub is no longer a pub, but it's a takeaway. The butcher shop has an online service and it's delivering to homes. They've all managed to adapt. And I think it was a government minister in the week said how many people, um, how many businesses she'd seen that had adapted their businesses to cope and were doing very well. And the economic numbers that are coming out are actually pointing to the suggestion that, yeah, businesses are a lot more resilient at the moment than many experts gave them credit for. Michael, you've adapted. You've adapted. You're, you're not what we would have called a traditional Blackpool B&B. No, and in fact, we're not even a, a traditional business in that we are a community interest company. So... We operate, it's somewhere between being a limited company and a charity. The difference being that um, anyone staying in our hotel uh, is actually, uh, the profits from it go back into community projects. So, you know, absolutely operates like a business on a professional basis, but its purpose is different. So um, the board is voluntary. Uh, obviously we do employ people and they're paid. Uh, so, but the other unusual factor about us is that, um, we took the kind of entire history of B&Bs um, and hotels in Blackpool, which is, you know, long and magnificent, the great story of the Blackpool landlady. And we thought we would relook at that for the 21st century. So uh, our hotel, um, which we acquired with a wide range of public funds, uh, is also being designed by artists as well. So Blackpool you know, has existed since its inception uh, as an attraction. That's its main industry. You know, it never was in steel, it never was in fishing. It's an arts, entertainment, cultural industry. And uh, in that bit where you were discussing you know, the kind of forecast of the future and what the Bank of England was saying, it's, it's very generic really. It very much depends on what sector of the economy you're in. And uh, you know, Nicola alluded to the fact that lots of people will be staying for their holidays in the UK in the next year or two. That's a really positive thing for a place like Blackpool. A really negative thing is to be in the arts, culture and entertainment industry uh, where no one imagined that you'd be legally prevented from having audiences, customers, people staying, all of that. And that's the dominant you know, driver for, for Blackpool. Um, so, and that's why it was built. Again, it's really unusual. It's a fa absolutely fascinating place, fascinating economy. Um, it's one of the few places in the world that was deliberately built just as an attraction. It's kind of a massive stage set. <laughs> I like I like the way you put that. That's I, I, that really yes, I get it. That is that is clear when you think about. Uh, you know, the things that I mentioned at the beginning, the illuminations and the tower and so on. Um, are you fully booked for the coming holidays? Uh, no, we, we've got very few bookings. And this, this is um, because we can't yet set a date to be uh, to reopen. We know it that in theory it's allowed sort of from the middle of May onwards. So it's a bit later for hotels than it is for some other 
small businesses. Um, but also it, it's not quite so easy just to reopen uh, a hospitality business, a hotel, because there's all sorts of licenses and health and safety and things you need to, to it sounds boring and the, and the customer doesn't need to know all of that. But obviously you've got to reboot everything and have everything rechecked and so on. So we're working on that. And yeah, we should be reopening end of May, but we haven't got a date yet. So we're really hoping we're going to be super busy. And we've Rachel, got a plan for the winter as well to, to actually not be a hotel in the winter. Rachel, we've heard all three of you now talk about the prospects of the benefits of staycation this year uh, and how well you expect to do. Cynics like me might come along and say, well, hold on a second. Um, it might be a flash in the pan, a one-off, because once foreign holidays are back, um, people are going to flood abroad. But is this also an opportunity for businesses in, in Blackpool to actually take advantage and make sure that there's a lasting legacy to this, that people will return, will come back because of the enjoyment they've had while they were staying there? It's, it's not going to be a a six-month wonder which peters out in the start of 2022. No, absolutely. And I think it's, you know, if, if we can get anything out of 2021, it's that I hope that people will rediscover Blackpool because I think people have a lot of fond memories of it. Um, you know, having gone as a kid, um, you know, like Liz was saying, she hasn't been back in, in a long time. And I think people, you know, were not going abroad, that opportunity to rediscover the UK's favourite seaside resort, to come back and actually see how much development has happened, how places like Michael's, you know, Art B&B um, just give a fantastic offer for a UK holiday. That family-friendly offer that Nicola was talking about you know all of the things that you can do in Blackpool from going to the zoos the water park Sandcastle water park the tower you know sea life Madame Tussauds the dungeons you know there's there's just so much to occupy a family in Blackpool and I think that if people do come in 2021 even if it's because they can't go somewhere else I very much hope that they will continue to come back um you know in future years and it's not to say that international travel won't happen we'll all still want our foreign holidays but I think I really Really hope that people will rediscover that joy of a, of a British seaside holiday. Can I pick up on a word that Nicola used? You said wholesome um, and uh, uh, Michael has explained that his B&B is a community interest company. How important is this sort of shift in almost, um, I don't know, ethos, ethics, um, purpose, that businesses are bringing to somewhere like Blackpool. I don't know, Nicola, if you want to just expand on that, what you meant by the wholesome thing. Yeah, sure. I mean, for me, I suppose I use the word, the term wholesome to, to sort of explain the, the kind of family friendly environment, but you are absolutely right. There are so many social enterprises in Blackpool who do fantastic work because whilst we recognize that there are certain parts of Blackpool or areas that unfortunately are some of the most deprived in the country we recognize that whilst also saying it is an incredible attraction for people to come and visit but we can't just be pumping money into these attractions without recognizing that there are other people in the town who need that help because we have to have and I'll use the word wholesome again in a slightly different context uh, well a holistic approach right to um, boosting Blackpool's economy and Michael's been B I've right I've never stayed there I've been on your website and it is incredible. I wish that more people would take this um, this approach to B&Bs um, and hotels in Blackpool because it, it just, all the decoration, I don't know if you've seen it, but the decorations um, are designed by different artists and it just celebrates Blackpool's history, um, which I think, I think Blackpool, unlike any other town or city in the country, has this branding, right? That everyone has this, a memory or even if it's a recent memory, like watching it on Strictly, there's this, this kind of Victorian golden age era of Blackpool and, and a nostalgia that people have about the town. And I think that local businesses, I think it's a shame sometimes, so many businesses want to modernize and um, have kind of new, new technology and, and make it look brand new. Whereas actually, I think a lot of people come to Blackpool to celebrate not necessarily new and modernized, um, aspects of the town, but the traditional stuff as well. Sounds as though you're talking about oh, taking it up. Sorry, Liz. Sorry, it sounds as though you're talking about taking Blackpool up market. You're, you're talking about wholesome one second um, and kiss me quick hats the next. Is that what you're saying? You're, you're, you're improving on the image that people are going to get better value for money 
uh, and a bigger variety of things to do. Yeah. And actually, Mickey, my question was more or less the same, except from the other point of view. Is this a reinvention that Rachel can sell, you know, the wholesome, the family stuff, the, you know, the, the community interest companies, the ethos that Rachel can sell for the, the area as well? Thank you. Yeah, I think it has been invented. Sorry, Nicola, go on. No, I was just going to say, I think um, more nationally, there's, there's more of an interest in ethical business all round, right? So if people can think, okay, I'm going to stay at a hotel, which also gives back to a community, I think people, that is an attractive quality in, in decision-making when you want to, you know, pick accommodation or pick an attraction, knowing that that um, money is going back into a community, I think is a real appealing thing. And I think it's true of so many of Blackpool businesses. I mean, not many people know that Blackpool Pleasure Beach is actually family owned. It's been family owned all the way through its existence. The hotels that are on site at the Pleasure Beach are also owned by that family. I mean, there's a, there's a beautiful four-star Boulevard hotel now directly in the heart of the Pleasure Beach. So you can stay there and then, you know, just fall out of bed and get on a roller coaster. Um, and I think that, you know, Blackpool has that in, in its major attractions as well as in its small kind of independent shops and B&Bs and, and, and everything else like that. So I think there is, you know, in in parts, there is an outdated perception of Blackpool and what you'll get if you come as a visitor. Um, and so, but I don't think the resort needs to reinvent itself in order to prove that. It just needs to get people there that maybe haven't considered it as a holiday option over recent years because they've been going to, you know, Spain or Canaries or wherever, wherever it is they've been going. So, and there's also loads coming. There are loads of investment the council's making, the new Blackpool Central Development, £300 million worth of a new and amazing new leisure attraction in the heart of Blackpool. And there's a new five-star hotel opening just next door to the tower. Um, Showtown, a museum celebrating Blackpool's heritage, you know, exactly that entertainment, good, wholesome, for Nicola's word, family entertainment, which is, you know, Blackpool's been doing that for years and years. I mean, the circus that runs in Blackpool Tower operated through two world wars and it's only shut down for COVID. So, you know, it is devastating. We need to get it back open. Michael, was this figuring in your thinking? Absolutely. No, it was all, all figuring uh, in, in the thinking. It isn't just mine, by the way, it's a community effort, this. So there's a whole voluntary board behind this. It's just I'm the person that gets shoved out because I've got the best shirts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for those of you who can't see us on Zoom, Michael does have good shirts. <laughs> Fantastic. You've put all our team to shame. <laughs> yeah. Well, that so doesn't take a lot. There's, even though I'd never met Nicola and Rachel before, I mean, we're, we're in tune in how we're all thinking about the place and its future. And just to add, actually, also, there's a new conference centre being built there. So you referred to the old party political conferences and union conferences and used to go on, which still do go on, but in a, on a small scale. So even that now with a new conference centre and may well attract back sort of the big party conferences to... Yeah. Uh, which is fantastic, you know, it's very much a part of the of the story of Blackpool. And just to pick up on something Mickey said, um, it Blackpool was was actually built for the working classes predominantly of the northwest of England and Scotland. And it was built to wow them for their short holidays. Again, this is going back to the, the Victorian ethos of it, and built to be a staggeringly, you know, not a patronising approach, but actually to go... This you've got a week of your of your year to rest and relax, and we're going to give you the absolute best experience you can possibly have, and things you've never seen before. So, and that all still exists, unbelievably, um, and it's just a lot of people don't know about it. So, I, I showed some photographs of the the major venues within the Winter Gardens, which is a collection of uh, Victorian and 1930s venues and I, sh I showed some images of those the guy that runs uh, historic royal palaces which includes the Tower of London and all the unoccupied royal palaces and he was sat at his desk laughing his head off he was laughing and going that's incredibly goes that is a better ballroom than they've got in Buckingham Palace and it, but it's just not necessarily known about and the fact that it's moved through time and is still functioning you know, and, and still functioning for their original purposes. So it's the world centre of ballroom dancing, which one once, not that long ago, people would have laughed at, but now it's major international TV viewing, brings people to Blackpool from around the world because all the national competitions, 
So I'll just, I'll, I'll shut up in a sec, but I think that what's probably missing is not getting rid of the traditional working class visitor, but opening up the access to the more specialist interest areas who would be very, very curious about the architecture, the social history, and also the, the nature, because it is actually a seafront town, which people forget about with, you know, kind of wonderful views and vistas and all the rest of it. So I think it's really about, it's almost a promotional job, really, to make people aware of that multi-dimensional aspect of the place. Well, let's say, let's say uh, the three of you get your heads together. I think you'd make a very powerful team. But Rachel, it says on your website that you work collaboratively with local authorities, with the private sector partners across the country to showcase the strengths of not just Blackpool, but uh, right across Lancashire's um, whole region. Um, when you say local authority, how, how does that work? How does that partnership work and how is the local authority attempting to stand out from let's say you know places like Great Yarmouth um, there must be a lot of competition going for these visitors. Yeah absolutely and that's going to be a real challenge for us in 2021 because everybody is going after this domestic visitor audience. Um, I mean we work very collaboratively Blackpool in particular we promote the whole of Lancashire so from the forest of Boland over to Blackpool down to Ormskirk um, and up to Lancaster. Um, so it's a big, you know, it's a big old uh, patch um, to be promoting. But Blackpool is really kind of, you know, the jewel in, in the crown for, for visitors who come and stay. I mean, Blackpool gets about 18 million visitors a year. Um, it's a major part of its economy. Um, and, you know, Visit Blackpool um, is, is, is well invested and well connected. So working with um, the partners across the resort um, from the Sandcastle and the zoo to uh, Merlin, who run obviously the Tower, um, Blackpool Pleasure Beach and all, all of these new investments that are coming on stream um, to kind of collaboratively and collectively promote the area. Um, and, it, you know, it has been tough. Uh, we operate on the basis of we get funds from local authorities. And so Marketing Lancashire, they call it a DMO. It's a bit of an odd um, definition, but um, we're not for profit. Um, so any money that we get is invested in the promotion of the county. We secure public funding from local authorities, but also from national government. And we've worked really, really hard to get Lancashire's share of that national government funding. And we were successful in getting cabinet office money for summer last year as we was reopened. And we've just secured money from Visit Britain to support the reopening, impening, impening into 20, into 2020 with all of these local authorities and our partners, the businesses, you know, people that run these attractions and accommodation provision to that, you know, that support our visitors. Cause I mean, it's a really welcoming place, Lancashire and Blackpool epitomizes that. Um, and that's why when I say, I don't think it needs to reinvent itself. People just need to rediscover it. They need to come this year and then, uh, you know, that will hopefully bring them back and back. And I'm really not sure that I've answered your question now. I went off on a bit of a tangent. Well, um, it's a podcast. <laughs> it's a it's a conversation. <laughs> it's moved on. <laughs> I think um, it's, yeah, it's amazing what people do as well. I remember Michael um, in in the heart of lockdown last year um, set up an offer to for people to become a Blackpool landlady by um, sponsoring a, a stay for an NHS worker. And I'm very very proud to say that I got my landlady certificate. So, uh, um, but it was just such a lovely initiative, and that's. I think for me, that's what um, Lancashire and Blackpool's um, tourism and hospitality businesses do. They really, really care about the business and the industry that they're in and about the people that they serve and operate for. Um, and I think that that really sets us apart. And I hope that people will really rediscover the county and, and come back in 2021. Can I pick Has up on that? Uh, yeah, I'm very glad you're officially one of our landladies as well, Rachel. That's great. Um, anyone can be a landlady these days, even if you're a man, Mickey. Hey, me? I couldn't even turn a bed down. <laughs> well, think of the hospitality you'd get at Casa Clark. <laughs> yeah, Declan and, I, Declan and I have experienced that in the past. <laughs> it's fulsome, let's just say that. <laughs> but not, not wholesome. <laughs> and I come back to the community benefit aspects of things. So, yeah. uh, what, what's what's happened and this is not to blame anybody but what happens in places uh, like Blackpool over long periods of time is the, the activity is commercial the entertainment and culture is commercial but that doesn't necessarily directly benefit the people who live there and work in other sectors 
So you very easily, and this has happened all around the UK, you very easily get a kind of two-tier economy where a, a small number of people are benefiting from a large number of visitors, but a large number of people are getting very little benefits from a large... So you end up with this kind of... It's in a university town, you get a town-gown split. I don't know what you'd call it in a seaside town, but you get a kind of resident and visitor-orientated split. And it's very significant. And so I think the, the future economically and socially and purpose-wise for, for places like Blackpool and probably Great Yarmouth and others is actually to bring those two things together so that that industry, that specialist industry, that attraction industry is actually much more directly benefiting the people who live and work there. So Nic I, that's a tricky thing to do, but actually it's perfect. It should be perfectly achievable. Nicola, does that ring bells with you, given that yeah. your father? Yeah, it, it really does. Um, so I work a lot with um, several charities in the town as well. I'm an ambassador for, for three different Blackpool-based charities. And while, you know, what Michael says is absolutely true, you know, the, the more visitors, the more money we can boost into Blackpool's attractions and tourism industry, the better it is for everybody. But it, it's a slow, gradual process, right? We need to have that two, as much as he was talking about two-tiered economy, there needs to be a two-tiered approach from, from government. You know, we've just had this incredible um, 39.5 million pound um, grant from the, the town fund, which is incredible and, and goes into the, the new central development and, and different schemes around the town. But it's really, really vital that the government recognise that legislative change needs to take place because there's a, a big issue in Blackpool with, with transients. Uh, transient, we have a really high uh, proportion of transient population and that is something that is, uh, you know, I, I hate to use the word drain because pe people themselves are never, a, a, shouldn't be labelled as a drain on the economy, but it does affect Blackpool's economy in a big way. And that's all stuff that can be taking place with legislative change and just recognising the social issues in the town. But also making Blackpool an all year round destination is so important. We saw, well, what was intended to be an extension of the illuminations over Christmas, but unfortunately we went into another lockdown. But um, as Michael said, we've got the new uh, conference centre at the Winter Gardens and actually the Tory party conference will be coming there in spring 2022. So it's just about extending the season because, uh, well, as my dad uh, has found for the past 40 years of working there, he, he, he gets to August and then he sort of dies for about three months and finds the energy to, to get back up and, and work again for the for the next summer season so unfortunately for my dad I'd like him to work 12 months all the way throughout the year and be burnt out I think um but that's that's the idea right is that we extend it beyond the illuminations and beyond the summer season and, and really improve what Blackpool has to offer during the spring because mm. the opportunities um, think... are there aren't they I mean the northwest itself has been a melting pot in recent years um, you know, most people wouldn't even recognise the fact now that Birmingham is officially our second biggest city, whereas Manchester and to a certain extent Liverpool have done a wonderful PR job. I mean, the focus very much for Londoners when they want to talk about people in the regions, they talk about Manchester and Liverpool rather than Birmingham. And is there enough being done? Is there enough infrastructure in place now for Blackpool to piggyback on this? And if so, will businesses have enough finance in the future um, to, to expand their operations? Because you're off, what you're seeking now is quality rather than quantity, isn't it? It's value for money. Mm. Yeah, and I think that that's, um, you know, the, the levelling up agenda, as the government likes to call it, um, you know, has to date really been focused on core cities. And that's the whole, the Manchester, Liverpool, Leeds, you know, they, they, and they don't, when they look north, they don't really see <laughs> that yet down in Whitehall um, and you know we're working quite hard to try and make them recognise that it's not just about these major cities and I worked in Manchester for a decade I was a, a deputy CEO at Marketing Manchester so um, and yeah worked very very hard and they you know they've, they've done a lot and Liverpool likewise um, but I think there is um, 
there does need to be legislative change, but also mindset change in terms of when government looks to the north and tries to kind of do that UK shared prosperity funding or levelling up agenda, you know, wherever that new funding is coming from. And, and they need to rethink that the way that they support kind of rural and coastal areas of the country, as well as just the, the major cities. Um, and I don't think that that's deep enough within their thinking yet. Um, so, yeah, working very hard. DCMS at the moment are going through their own kind of review in terms of how they try and support the recovery of the tourism sector slightly frustrating me they always separate it from what they call the cultural sector I'm a big believer that the two things are really kind of the same and we <laughs> you know it's it's all about supporting and and making places beautiful for residents as well so um, I mean we're a full place promotion agency we promote as a place to live visit study and invest um, but that visitor offer is so critical to all of those things. You're not going to come and invest and base your business in a place that's got nothing to offer your workforce. Why would you? Um, and I think that that's, you know, we need to make sure government today it's kind of ignored tourism it kind of it's a sector that grows and it you know it delivers you know revenue but certainly domestic tourism they just kind of thought well it's just moving money around the country it's not actually adding you know to GVA I think they've got it now I think Covid has has taught them that actually it's critical to our economy circular economy whatever you talk about all those buzzwords um and that they need to invest in it it's been under for a decade since the regional development agencies went there's no route for central government funding to support tourism development um, in destinations and you know they, they really need to reconsider that so they are doing a review at the moment of dmos um, and they need to make sure that they're not just looking at those major cities all power to manchester and liverpool they need to be successful for the north to be successful but you need to not ignore the areas that surround them because lancashire needs to be successful for manchester and liverpool to take those next steps as well um, but what I was thinking was that we've, um, for quite a long time, seaside cities have been on the agenda, as in, we know there's a problem, but we don't know how to fix it. Are we, are, do you think there is thinking now that understands how special, how different they are, and how they can be fixed? I hope, I think they're beginning to get it. I don't think, I don't think it's... Um... I think it's shifted back up the priority list, but we need to keep it there. So tourism came back up the priority list after foot and mouth. It came back after, up the priority list after 9-11. Um, and for a while, everyone was like, oh, you know, we need to make sure that we're supporting this industry in the country. And it seems to just get forgotten again in favour of advanced manufacturing and aerospace and um, automotive and health innovation and all of those kind of digital creative, you know, what the government might term its kind of sexy growth sectors. And it doesn't think about tourism enough. Um, and, I, you know, I think it has now realised that it needs to. And I hope that they will, you know, begin to take this seriously, that, you know, seaside, you know, our seaside jewels, our assets need need to be supported um because they do drive significant value and economic impact and jobs and everything else that goes with it um i think the culture point mickey is something that we have been making for the past year really you can't have tourism without culture etc you know and culture is very important it's not just about tourists it's about residents as well uh, Nicola, yeah. i think I, I think for you uh, working in the, you know, as an actress, this must have been a particularly hard year, but that whole thing about culture and the part that it really plays uh, must now be something that uh, you again and lots of your fellow actors and fellow producers and directors and so on will be thinking about in terms of recovery as well. Of course. I mean, the majority of my my theatrical friends haven't worked in, it was a, a one year anniversary of the theatres going dark, I think this week. Um, so it's really depressing to think that there are so many skilled, talented workers out there who just have been forced to, to stay at home. And I, I, what I would hope and what we all hope is that there will be this um, reinvigorated uh, zest for wanting to go into the theatre and buy tickets and go to see shows and look at what there is to offer and not just come down to London. I always say this to people, don't just, if you wanna see a good theatre production, don't think you have to come to the West End. There are wonderful theatres. We have the Grand Theatre in Blackpool, there's the Exchange in Manchester, the Lowry. There's so many incredible regional theatres that need to be supported, particularly because Panto season was canceled this year. And Panto's the, the, brings in the most money for, for regional theatres. But I, it, it makes me sad that, um, you know, when I was a kid and I came down to London and I, as an actress, and I went to the West End and I went to all these theatres and I thought, oh, well, we have this back in Blackpool. 
so why are, why are there millions of people here but they're not they're not flooding to Blackpool and I I appeal to you know the star comedians and the star actors to take jobs and take their theatre shows and tours to Blackpool because um, we have wonderful audiences as well I, I think that um, the, the local audiences are often overlooked in favour of a kind of hoity-toity national theatre London-based crowd but that's not what theatre is about theatre should be political theatre should be about engaging with people from working class communities. So bring your shows to Blackpool, please. Well, there you go. Heartfelt play. I think it's because I think the passion that uh, Rachel, Michael, and Nicola have shown for Blackpool will convince people that uh, yes, that's that is the next stop, <laughs> the, the next thing to do. Uh, Michael, I want to book in for uh, 2022 for the Tory Party conference now because it'll be so hard to get a, a room that if I don't book now, I'll have to stay in Manchester probably. <laughs> We, we will book you in, Liz, immediately in, uh, in one of the artist design suites. Fantastic. Don't give her a suite. Just give her a cab there. That's all she needs. I said that's suite. All, that's all I usually get. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, three, you three, so much. Absolutely fascinating. Rachel, Michael and Nicola. Thank you. Simon, one thing that strikes me is this whole business about the role that local authorities play. It's its very important. And you and I are going to talk to Eve now. I've forgotten her name. Roodhouse. Roodhouse. Roodhouse, yes. From uh, no. Leeds City yes. Council. We're going to talk to her next week. She's the um, Chief about... Economic Development um, yes. Officer. Yeah. And she's in charge of, of the whole business strategy um, in um, Leeds Council. And uh, she's very proactive and very high profile. And I think she's doing a very good job there. And I think other big cities have got these people uh, in place as well. So, um, yeah, I think local authorities can really drive uh, uh, the whole infrastructure, the whole skills agenda, uh, the whole promotion of the city, uh, you know, uh, and coordinate people. Uh, and I think they play a very valuable role and they're underestimated. I think that's the underestimated, yes, is the word. Yeah. Rings true. Um, Declan, Simon, what should we be looking out for in the next week? Can I just check with Nicola? Panto season, it's, is it going to be back this Christmas? I don't know. Um, I don't know if those decisions have been made. I think it, I think it very much depends, obviously, on because it's winter. We don't know what the situation will be with a, with a third wave. But what mm. I know yes, is yes. that... Well, we've got a couple um, of old dames you can have. Well, I was about to say, I think Declan's looking for a. I think Declan's looking for a role. I wasn't advertising. I was merely uh, the thought crossed my mind that uh, we we drive the kids to Panto every Christmas because it's an important part of uh, their development, and they hate it. Uh, but they're going to go again this Christmas once we're open. Uh, Buxton, here we come. I'm, I'm really struck by that conversation about. Uh, about Blackpool and Lancashire is the power of nostalgia. It's such a powerful force in business. So long as uh, it's utilised properly, it needs to be done uh, to modern standards and modern settings. It's not a code for doing things the way that they've always been done. It's respecting and reflecting our interest in history and times past, but in a very, very modern setting. And whether that's uh, reflecting Lancaster's uh, deep sort of uh, role in English history or whether it's the sort of the cultural excitement and, and the experience of learning how to ballroom dance for yourself in uh, places that look like something you see on Strictly. That's really an amazing thing uh, to think of because experiences are so important in, in leisure and in tourism nowadays as well. I think you're making a bid for Strictly as well, are you? Yeah. <laughs> the the I think that the not the, good the in them sequins. The, uh, the, the 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 pop. The the selling point uh, for the tourist board surely is to show that you can dance better than John Sargent and Anne Widdicombe. That uh, we can all do better than that. One of your breath. <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, look out for Declan in sequence yeah. <laughs> this no, week. I no, think is that what you're saying? <laughs> you should come, Declan. Right. It's only it's only about a fiver on a Saturday afternoon when things are normal. You pay, I think it's like four ninety five, and you can go into the ballroom 
you can have an afternoon tea and watch the dancers come from all over the northwest and just have a bit of fun and you can join in with them if you want and listen to the Wurlitzer. Sold. And cool. it's actually the world's best ballroom, well, there's no doubt about it, and it's actually the world centre of ballroom dancing. And if you, if you don't like that, underneath it is uh, Frank Matcham, the Victorian theatre designer, his only circus he designed in the world. So absolutely staggering architecture to visit. Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm going to get the team to book. Uh, we're, we're going to have to do this tour for real, I think, because there's so many places that we visited virtually that we now want to visit for real. But this if they is thought the last... a stag or a hen party was bad, yeah. just wait for us to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we'll have to book it for real because there's so many places we really do want to visit now, having uh, talked about them over the past few weeks. And that is the end of... Um, our tour we're as I said uh, Simon and I are going to talk to Eve Roodhouse next week about the, the role of local authorities in economic recovery and then we're going to take an Easter break so thank you very much everybody for taking part in this week's podcast um, thank you Rachel, Michael and Nicola um, again to George uh, Ollie and Ben without whom it never would happen in the background Simon and Declan your insights are so valuable. And Mickey and I just try to keep just things hang on for the cruise, yeah. And I think there's one <laughs> other thing we should just mention before we go off air. Uh, we have a new business, small business commissioner announced by the government last week. Oh, do and we know who it is? Is it someone we know? We know? It is. And, and, and guess what? It's our own Liz Barkley. So many, Barkley. so many congratulations, Liz. Are you the queen of the quandos now? So you are you're going to no, you're going to have to call me commissioner from now on. Oh, so you're, you're, call you're a lot worse than that. Exactly. You're now going to have to be grilled by us at some stage when you take up your post in July. Uh, I should, I'm not sure. I was going to say I should look forward to it, but I'm not sure. That's <laughs> that well. Oh, we're absolutely uh, delighted for you, Liz. A great appointment. Well, um, you know, as you know, I'm absolutely passionate about small businesses and the work of the self-employed. I think they are the backbone of the UK economy. Uh, and so I will do my very best to try to support uh, those small businesses and self-employed people. The ones we've talked to, the ones we haven't talked to yet, the ones we will talk to as much as I possibly can. So It's the sudden sermons I feel sorry for. Do they know what's coming? <laughs> Cyclone Liz. <laughs> buy tickets for the buy, buy tickets for a first appearance in front of the select committee. Yeah, that should I be do. fun. I can't wait, Nikki. Okay, can't okay. Wait. Let's draw a line onto this now. <laughs> you can hear yeah. all our podcasts on yeah. backinbusiness.org.uk. Find us on LinkedIn, uh, Twitter. We're business underscore backin, and we'll see you next week.